0: Morning, everyone. Great to be with you again. I'm guessing this water is for me. I'm glad uh, as we're nearing the end of 2021, uh, we're able to actually come together and worship, and we're getting more and more people back into service, uh, which is very, very exciting for me as well. And uh, with that in mind, as Christine mentioned, we are starting a new series today: Christmas Together. Um, And that's going to take us all the way to the end of the year, and so this will take us through the Advent season. Um, So Advent, if you don't know, this is uh, just all about waiting and anticipation uh, for the Messiah to come. And I think this year of waiting and uh, anticipation for the end of lockdown has probably placed us pretty well uh, within the bounds of the season of Advent. Advent. You know, um, when we can join together with the people of the Bible, uh, when we can anticipate together with them, uh, who waited expectantly for the birth of the Messiah. And so we also, um, as we continue to watch the world turn, we're waiting to see the Messiah return. And that's what we are doing together. Um, How about I pray for us, and then we'll get into the passage. Father, as we uh, near the end of the year and as we get ready to enter into December and the season that um, many of us would look to as cheerful or happy or um, perhaps some of us might even look at as lonely, whatever it might be, Lord, would you remind us, Lord, of what this season means to you? Uh, Remind us, Lord, of what this season means to us as Christians, as those that follow Jesus, that we can look to uh, the birth of your son, Jesus, and we can look to his return as well, God. It's this return that fills us with hope as it reminds us, Lord, that this world isn't all that there is, but that there is more to come. We look forward to the renewal of all things just as we look forward to the renewal of our own flesh, of our own hearts, where one day our hearts, our minds, our bodies can be one, can be united, and can be completely turned towards you rather than pulling us every which way. We pray, Lord, uh, for our church today that we will be able to look to you uh, together, uh, that we'll be able to come together as we look towards Christmas, that we'll be able to worship your son Jesus together. Would you speak speak to our hearts and help us, Lord, to be formed by you once again, spiritually form our hearts once again. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This uh, passage that Christine read to us, it's one of my favorite passages uh, throughout all of the Bible. I I really love the creation account. I know we've been through the creation account a couple of times, uh, I believe, as we've spent the year together. Um, I love the creation account as God takes from the side of man and creates woman. You know, this is just such a beautiful, beautiful rendering of what uh, creation had. And if you've been with New Life for a while, you might know that I really, I enjoy poetry, you know, I like like poetry, and what more beautiful poetry is there than when the man can only respond to what God has done by proclaiming, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. At last, he says, and then to proclaim the nearness of this woman to the man, the togetherness of this new creation, the man states, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You know, and even to say woman out of man, or in Hebrew, to say isha, as taken from Ish, you know, these are interrelated words, just as they are in English. There's this beautiful intimacy here, which results in the man crying out in poetry. You know, I don't know if I don't know if anyone's ever done that. You know, do you ever see someone or do you ever eat a meal and then you just can't help but just speak poetry because of how good it is there's just amazement and awe great love and appreciation for what god has done and it truly is what god has done because not only does the lord god create woman while the man is in a deep sleep meaning that the man played no part in this you know he had no say in how to create this woman but the man himself was also created by this God out of dust. A body was given to this man and life was breathed into him by God's spirit. Read with me, Genesis 2:7. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and the man became a living being. So the man himself resides in a body that's been prepared by God And now he looks to the woman who was prepared by God, fashioned from his side. And so we can witness together when we read the creation account, this incredible majesty and glory of God's creative work. What God is doing here. Not only the man from dust, but to bring two from one body. You know, what a miraculous act to bring two from one body and then again, as it tells us in 24 to 25, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. The two, in coming together, again, are united as one. And though they're vastly different, there's no cause for separation, there's no cause for disunity or difference, because the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame they're able to bear all before one another and feel no shame. And this is you know, a lot less about the physical aspect of things, but more about just the differences that naturally exist between man and woman. There's loving acceptance. There's this welcoming and true togetherness. True togetherness. This is what we're looking for all of our lives, let alone Christmas. So in this picture-perfect garden scene, There's peace, there's unity, and then there's something of the embodiment of God's command all the way back in chapter one of Genesis when he says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God he created them, male and female. Have you ever read this account and you just notice just the plural use, you know, by the biblical account? Like if this isn't English class, you know, you'd be getting marks down because you're switching from singular to plural again and again. And God, here in reference to humanity, begins by saying, "Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness." Let's make man singular. But then he continues on by saying, they will rule, and he created them male and female. This is a picture of the ideal vision for humanity. This is the ideal vision of humanity, bearing God's image through togetherness. It's not about doing it on our own. It's not just an individual thing. But as we bear his image together, that is humanity. If you'll indulge me for a moment, let me talk briefly about why this passage means so much to me. Okay, let me talk briefly about the woman for whom I have this passage, you know, written on my ring, on my wedding ring. Okay, she's the one that I find my match in when it comes to humor. She challenges me spiritually, she fills my own pen with inspiration as I myself wrote to her, wrote poetry to her. And though I never felt less than one, it felt like I had found my other in this woman. Okay? We met in our motherland in Korea, despite both of us calling different nations home. Before, either of us were 30, and then we got through a whole bunch of life journeys. You know, After moving 10,000 kilometers all the way over to Australia, through childlessness, through childbirth, and she's still the one that I look to, that I look to, that I will cross oceans for, whatever it is, and the one that I'm certain I'm thoroughly embarrassed by drawing attention to her on her first Sunday back. I don't actually know if she can hear me. She might have turned the volume all the way down in the parents' room. Who knows? But this isn't a marriage sermon, though. Even as we're reading through Genesis, as we're reading through the creation account of man and woman coming together, even as I talk about my wife, this isn't a marriage sermon. The language that I use, the depths of emotions that I talk through as I try to convey to you, this is only a shadow of what we're really talking about here as we cast our eyes forward to Christmas. Even Adam's language here, as beautiful as it is, as much as I love to quote it, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It pales in comparison to the love with which Jesus Christ looks upon us, his church, collectively, his church. Jesus, he looks upon us with real emotion. Do you consider this? He actually looks upon us with real emotion. He declares his love for us in ways that we can't fathom to the point that others would look upon this love and others would write poetry about it all the way through your book of Psalms all the way through Song of Solomon, whatever it might be. They write about it. so many things that it would fill our entire Bibles and it would last generation to generation. Remember, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will remain forever. These are the words that remain with us. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And in fact, Jesus himself embodied this physical body that God had prepared for him, just like Adam. And from here, we as a church, we came to be because his side was pierced at the cross, as it tells us in the Gospel of John. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once, blood and water came out. This blood and water rushing out And we see the church coming together in this act. In his death and resurrection, we're given life. As the Isha, taken from Ish, as the woman taken from man, we are taken from his side. We're one body together now in Christ. Do you see this? Do you see the connection here? 1 Corinthians tells us, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. And then it says later, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. What I've observed in my life thus far, as short as it is, a little bit longer than some of you, what I've observed in my life so far is how much the world gears you towards desiring companionship and marriage. Like, I think I've talked about this a few times, right? And like... This ideal, though, it's prevalent in the church as well. And it's a little bit frustrating for me because these aren't necessarily negative things. Don't let me disparage marriage to you, especially when my wife is back in the service. She's looking. you know, But not everything that talks about marriage in the Bible is talking purely about physical marriage here on earth. I can't abide by the sense that people get that somehow they're incomplete if they remain unmarried through their 20s, through their 30s, through their 40s, whatever it might be. Okay, I know so many people that struggle with this. I feel like the church and popular culture have both been complicit in this misunderstanding as well. Okay, I can't just place the blame at Hollywood's feet. I think church has been really complicit in this as well. Because we talk so highly about marriage without any actual balance. And sometimes... We talk about marriage like it's the end goal. I know this because I struggle with this with feeling lesser than, with feeling incomplete early on in my Christian walk as well when I was single. In Genesis, what we're reading, the two becoming one, it doesn't imply that either Adam nor Eve were incomplete without the other. They're not incomplete. God doesn't create an incomplete thing. Yes, there's companionship, there's the helper, but there's actually a fundamental change of being rather than an addition to. Okay? This is a bit conceptual. Okay, The two don't remain as two. When two come together, they don't remain as two, as though they're better than the one. But they become one in unity, and it's a change down to an ontological level, at, at the point of being, at their existence, Not in addition to who they were. It fundamentally changes who they are. Not better than. Just as in my own marriage with Bora, neither of us were halves looking for the other half, as though we're just stumbling through life and if we never ran across each other in another country, we'd just be incomplete for the rest of our lives. Consider this, if singleness means being incomplete, then as you read through the Bible, the apostle Paul is incomplete, and Jesus Christ himself is incomplete, as they remain single until their death. But the ideal humanity, it's not found only in bearing God's image within the context of marriage between a man and a woman. Okay, when we're looking at this, when we're looking at marriage, when we're looking at Genesis, And when we're talking about the ideal vision of humanity as togetherness, because as good a gift as marriage is, as good a gift as as sex is that God has given to us, these are both things that can be lived without. I know some of us don't want to live without it, but these are things that we can live without. But no one can possibly live without true intimacy. I know... The last two years, some of us feel like, yes, I can. Like, I love being at home, okay? But no, true intimacy is something that we can't do without as humans and it's found within our body, the body of Christ. This is where true intimacy is, not in just one or the other. This is the revelation. This is the unfolding of what Genesis is talking about when it declares, bone of my bone, Flesh of my flesh, the church as one body in Christ is true intimacy. It's the ideal humanity of bearing God's image in togetherness despite the many differences that exist between individuals. You can look around you in this room and you will find everyone is different from you in some way, down to some level. I know sometimes people say that we look very similar, but that doesn't mean that we're the same, right? Ephesians 4 puts it this way, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. So, with the loving acceptance that comes with speaking the truth in love, with the recognition of the body's need for every single part, every ligament, every body part, with the building up of weaker body parts to promote the growth of the body all throughout, to see the proper function of each part in the body, we see true togetherness. This is what true togetherness looks like true unity in the body when we support the weaker members of our church, when we support one another, as we care for one another in the body, regardless of blood relation, regardless of marital covenant, whatever it might be, no, this is true intimacy. Those that are doing premarital counseling with me or have done it already, you know what a high value I place on marriage. But lest we be mistaken, new life, I need you to know that this is not the ultimate goal of our lives. Marriage is not the ultimate goal of our lives. It's a real blessing. It is. It's a real blessing about starting families here. I would love to see more families at New Life. I would love to see you guys starting more families at New Life. But we're part of the greater family. We're part of a much greater family, each individually and together as the church universal. The intimacy that many of you seek in romantic relationships It's not to be found there first, but in Jesus' first, and in love that he has for us, the church, his body. This is where we can find that true intimacy that we're looking for. And this is why we talk about the communal aspect of marriage when we go through counseling. Last week, we saw a spotlight video uh, from one of our members, Gina. She talked about sharing the gospel with others, about listening and comforting, about how we as a church family can get to know each other through worshiping God together until we reach the end where there will be no more strangers. And man, I've been thinking about that phrase all week. No more strangers. This is the intimacy that we seek. Can you imagine this world? This captures a vision of what we should desire in our lives. Instead of going every which way to find a partner to do this life with, a romantic partner, look to the partners in the gospel that we have here at New Life. We have an intimacy that goes beyond family units and invites others in, where older married couples with children can perhaps invite those in our congregation who have never experienced it to come and see the love of a father or a mother. Can you imagine? Where younger people can be a lifeline to moms and dads whose kids need the rest of the village to help raise them. I don't know if we have this here, but where orphans and widows can find a place among our number, as it talks about in the Bible, where none have to feel like outsiders and all can feel welcomed, experiencing this intimacy. That they can't experience anywhere else in the world. This is the new life that I wanna see. This might seem like a far off vision as well. You know, many of us are, I don't know if we thought about it. I don't know if we've been reflective enough to think about it. It might feel like we have to wait until Jesus to return to actually experience this, but He's given us this church that we might actually image this ideal out together here and now on earth before He returns. It's a foretaste of what's to come in the new Jerusalem. It's not going to be perfect, but it's a foretaste. If you want to be a part of this but can't even begin to picture what following Christ looks like, I urge you, though, to pray with us today. Because just like Adam in the garden, it's not something that you can just do on your own. It's not a work that you can accomplish. As deep asleep as Adam was in, when Eve was taken from his side, we can only look to God to receive the grace of Christ, in order that we might be brought into this family of faith. Luke puts it this way, and he, Jesus, took bread and gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, Elsewhere, he talks about how this is my flesh, you must eat of my flesh. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. I mean, we see and reenact these words in the communion, which you know, I know it's been a little while since we've been able to do it due to lockdown. But we see and reenact these words and it reminds us of what Jesus did for us. In the giving of his body, we were made into his body. In giving his body, we were made into his body, the church. He went to the cross, gave his body, his bones, his flesh, his blood, that we might be welcomed into the family of God. As Adam was asleep, as we were asleep in our sins, dead in our trespasses, yet God, in his mercy, created new life from one, causing it to spring forth life for many sons and daughters. Just as he brought two from one flesh in Adam, he brought many from the one flesh in Jesus. We are his body, and Jesus will look to us and say, we're bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. For we, the church, gathered together, we're his bride. This is the way that it describes us, the church, the bride of Christ. Intimacy, true togetherness is founding in the church as we look to Jesus the communion is not only remembrance, though. Remember this. We always talk about this when we do the communion together. It's also future-focused. We look to the time when all things will be made new, where there truly will be no more strangers, where there will only be true togetherness. And it pictures this just as the church is to picture the end here and now. As we head towards 2022, I have a vision for new life that will embody this togetherness. We will embody this togetherness. It's my son Jonas' first day at church. I imagine 10 years' time, 20 years' time, what this church will look like, what kind of togetherness that he'll walk into, how welcome he'll feel. We won't do it perfectly, I know this, but we will grow into this together. Where once visitors might have felt alone, where they might have worried, will people even notice me? Will people even welcome me? Where once certain types of people might have been outsiders, we'll find a place of acceptance and welcoming here at New Life. As we begin this Advent season, I ask you to join with me in looking together with the people of the Bible who went before us. And we'll start here with Adam and Eve. Despite their nearness with one another and with God, they went astray in the garden They were the first to be deceived, but they were also the first to receive evangelism from God Himself. And they're the first recipients of this hopeful promise. Read with me Genesis 3. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is the promise of Jesus still to come. As Adam and Eve anticipated the coming of the promised one, let us, new life, join together in anticipating his return when all things will be made new and we'll have true intimacy forever. And until that day, let us in togetherness welcome in one another, reshape new life into a a most loving and welcoming community. How about we pray? Father, the past two years, we can observe as the world fractures even further, where due to Physical or social limitations due to the virus, we've had to distance ourselves. But in this, we've witnessed as so many of us have become combative and have pushed one another away. We know that this isn't the way. We know that you tell us in our anger not to sin you talk to us constantly about togetherness, about community, about family, about inviting in the stranger rather than turning away. Would you help us, Lord? Because every inclination in our flesh is to protect ourselves and protect our number rather than letting people in. But we want this church here at New Life to be one with open walls where the door is always open to the widow, the orphan, the stranger, to the outsider, where they can come in and where they can be one of us. We pray, Lord, that even before we invite people in that we would know what this looks like for ourselves. So many of us don't know What this togetherness looks like so many of us have never experienced it but we deeply desire it we all require intimacy god help us not to look for it in the wrong places but help us lord to look to you the one that invites us in the one that initiates and the one that never fails us we know Lord that flesh and blood can always turn away from us can always disappoint us but we know Lord that you in your spirit come down in the flesh in Jesus can never disappoint you never let us down you're always there for us and so we look to you our blessed assurance of a community that we have in you of the invitation into your family May we not just stand at the door of faith, but may we walk in knowing that we're invited in as your son, as your daughter. Help us to love you and help us to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.